been in the seventh series in the book of Colossians. Um, Paul wrote this book to the city, um, the church in the city of Colossae. Um, and it's a little four chapter book, and, and Paul is dealing with a lot of different topics and a lot of different things. Um, but he begins, this, if you haven't been with us, he begins in chapter one kind of laying a foundation of where he will be going to the rest of the, of the letter. And again, this is more than just, a, as you read the Bible, this is more than just a, a book of theology. This is a letter. This is a Paul from the spiritual father. He had planted some churches. He actually did not go to this, uh, this city, but a friend of his did. And he's kind of the spiritual uh, kind of apostolic father over this city. And so he writes this letter to them. And he begins in chapter 1 of who Christ is. And he basically is saying, unless you understand who Christ is, Unless you understand that he is supreme and he's preeminent and he must be first in all things, the other stuff won't make any sense to you. It will be hard to walk the other things out. He must be first. And so this key passage, let's go ahead and look at that. I've been looking at that each week as Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme as first preeminent. He's the ruler, ultimate authority over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And I just put in parentheses on marriage and family because that's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. We'll be talking about family again today. But he is over everything. He created everything. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see. Teaches strong schemes, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything, including marriage and family, was created through him and for him. So the next one. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme, is that word again, first, preeminent, ruler, ultimate growth, over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything, or you could say he must be first in everything. Um, he, he doesn't have to be first in your life. Uh, that, that's the gift of free will that God has given mankind. And so... For all the other things to make sense, walking with Christ, he must be first. For God and all of the fullness is pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ, blood on the cross. And again, so Christ must be first, individually. And then as we, as we make him first and supreme in our lives, the other things, we begin to be able to know what it means to walk a godly life. We know what it means to walk with Christ and the things that he wants us to do and wants us to accomplish individually, as couples, as a family. And next week we're going to be specifically looking at in our workplace, in our sphere of influence, that Christ wants to be first. That's a part of our calling as believers and followers of Jesus. Terry mentioned it earlier um, when he came up, when Jesus said to his disciples, and ultimately he said to us, he said, come follow me. In other words, I'm leading. And so what happens is a lot of time is we say yes to Christ and we begin to follow him, but at some point we jump out ahead of him and we become the leader. And that's what this idea that Paul is talking about is Christ must be supreme. He must rule in your heart. He must sit on the throne of your life, not us. And where we get messed up, where we walk in sinfulness, is where we begin to take ownership and rulership over our lives, and we remove Him, and we become the owner. And and and, and the call of God, the call of this passage is to say, "Make me ruler, make me supreme in your life." So I'm convinced that this is the key to have you know, the foundation to have a successful marriage and home. 
Now, in relationship, and, I, and, and, and I'll say this up front, in relationship, there's something greater here that is being revealed than just human relationships. Now, God gives us human relationships as a gift. That's marriage, that's family, that's friendship. Um, we can thank God for that. But even as we talked about marriage, when God came up with marriage, He said, you know, He gave the woman to the man. Um, we know that it was, again, more than just this idea of two human beings coming together. Paul actually tells us later on that there's something profound going on. Jesus, or God is actually pointing to Jesus being the bridegroom, us being the bride. So the idea of marriage is pointing to the reality of the gospel. Paul says this, and he's just talking about marriage, and he says, but I'm telling you a mystery. It's about Christ and the church. This institution of marriage points to Christ and the church. Well, the institution of family, what does that do? Look, if marriage reveals Christ and the church, the institution of family reveals God as Father. That's the institution of family, God as Father. In the Old Testament times, it would you know it would have been more odd to read, to, to, to look at God as this. Well, they knew David kind of got it, knew a few of our spiritual fathers that got it. But when Jesus came, remember Jesus comes in and reveals who God is because He is the visible image of the invisible God, and so He's revealing who God is. When He comes, He, he reveals that marriage in the church, and it was God's intention. When he also comes, he reveals that God is Father. Remember when the disciples said, teach us to pray? And we all know the, the prayer, right? The, the, the Lord's Prayer starts that with the first two words. Our Father. And so Jesus is teaching something about who God is. He, said he's, he is Master. He is Lord. He is Creator. He is awesome. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. Yes, He's all those things, but you need to know that he's not this far-off, distant being out there that's just massively in control of everything. He is Father. He is Abba, Father. The word Abba is a covenant word that is very close. He's like a wonderful, loving Father, and that's who God is. And so the idea of family reveals God as Father. And some people, when they hear the word Father or parent, it, it, it stirs up some very negative feelings because they didn't have a very good relationship with maybe a father or mother or both. And it represents hurt, it represents neglect, it represents, you know, all kinds of maybe pain. But Jesus wants to restore the idea that God is Father. I like Paul, Paul says in Romans that he says that we're no longer slaves, but we are children of God, and because we are children, we can call Him Abba Father, that we all have in Christ this ability to say, He is my Father, He cares about me. And so this idea of parents to children is more than just a human being with kids, or two human beings with kids, it's revealing something about who God is. All of creation reveals who He is. And so the institution of family, again, with, with, with God's idea. Let's see the next screen. We're going to pick up these passages. Um, I, I talked about this last week. Um, 
Joshua towards the end of his life, and I love this declaration. This is kind of the Old Testament version of Colossians 1, 15 through 20 that, that Joshua is making. He's saying that for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He just gets to his older man. He is addressing the people of Israel, and uh, and he's saying, you know, we're getting ready to, to you know, we, we come into this promised thing, and he said, there's a lot of these nations, and they worship different gods, and if you want to do that, you can. He said, but you either choose God or you choose the other gods. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he put a stake in the ground, and he said, no matter what happens, and we're going to have struggles, and we're going to have difficulties, and there's going to be obstacles along the way, there's going to be hurdles that we have to cross, but no matter what happens, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Parents, let that be your declaration. This is a Colossians 1.15. This is Christ as supreme. Jesus, you will be Lord in my family. You will be Lord in my marriage. You will be Lord, and you will be master of our home. I'm going to make this house Christ-centered. And, and then the passage from Colossians, the children obey your parents and everything, for this is the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter or exasperate. Trust with your children, or they will become discouraged. So let's go to the next uh, slide. And Ephesians is the same kind of, he's saying the same kind of thing to the church in Ephesus. But it really kind of uh, actually goes a little bit deeper. And he says, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So this is why we talked about that last week. Kids, obey your parents. It's a good idea. Honor your father and mother with his first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you. I used to tell that my kids, you want it to go well with you? You need to honor me, right? Kidding, I didn't do that. I did a joke here, but... It's the first man with a promise that it will go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And that's not the parents. It doesn't mean that you're going to cut their life short if they're disrespectful to you. Um, fathers, do not exasperate or your children get frustrated or embitter. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're going to kind of more deal with that. Last week, we talked about children honoring their parents. And then parents, how we can frustrate and embitter our children. We talked about that last week. If you want to hear that, you want to hear, you can post to it online or pick up a CD if you'd like to do that. But again, going in as today, Psalm 123, I love this. Children are a gift from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. So our kids, are, they are not an accident. They are not a mistake. They are a gift from God. You know what I also love about this passage? As David wrote this, because he kind of understood some of the, the intimate side, the loving side of God. If you are God's children, you are a gift. You are a gift to the Lord. Because he's your father, and he loves you, and he created you, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so as we get into today, we're going to more talk about that. Um, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, kind of queuing in on that and talk about what, is it, how do, what does it mean to train our children? To train them in the ways of God. Here are the things. Here are the things. Parents, you lead the way. Parents lead the way. We're commanded not only to not frustrate our kids, but to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're going to look at a passage in a moment that tells us that we should do that. And obviously, Paul says, don't endure them, but train them in the ways of God. Teach them to love Jesus. Teach them to follow Jesus. Teach them to live for Jesus. Teach them Colossians 1, 15 to 20, that we're going to make Christ first. 
And so I'm telling you right now, and, and then here we're starting over because we have Judah and we are, are going to be adopting again, but there's no greater reward than to see your older kids following the Lord. Not to say they're perfect, not to say they don't make mistakes, because we do. But when they're loving Jesus, there's nothing greater than them. Parents, we are the chief disciples of our kids. And we will disciple them for better or for worse. Now let me pause here. I, I do not want this message to come like a, like a hammer. Well, in some ways I do because it, sometimes we need to be challenged. But it's not intended to be a shameful thing. It's intended to make us again turn to the Lord. And all these things will say, Lord, help me. Forgive me where I've blown it because I've blown it, I've blown it a bunch of times. And I, I can tell you lots and lots of stories about how many times and all the things that I belong in. So it's not about that, but it's, it, it, it's, it's intended to, again, say, Lord, we want you to be first again. We want you to be supreme again. We want to get up from where maybe where we've been, where we've been going, and say, Lord, we want to change direction. We want to do the right thing. But we disciple our kids for better, for worse. That idea of disciple, again, carrying intimate followers, disciple, the other word, discipline, right? Discipline has always gotten this negative connotation that it means punishment. When we say, well, you know, I got in trouble, I was disciplined. And so a lot of times we have this mindset that discipline equals punishment. That's actually not the correct definition of discipline. Punishment and correction of can be involved in discipline, um, and, but the, the discipline is about discipling and training. The, the disciples that Jesus said, come and follow me, disciples, in other words, disciplined ones, right? That's the key, the, 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 the root word, disciples, disciplined. He's saying, I want to make you disciplined. I want to train you. I want you to walk with me. I want you to, I'm going to model things for you. And, and again, Jesus being our example, he modeled it for us. And so he, he didn't just say, I'm going to teach you how to teach. He taught the multitudes and he let them watch. He let them serve people. And so ultimately he's training them and he's discipling them and disciplining them. There were times when he would correct them, Right? You guys don't have much faith, he said at times. You, you lack faith. You know, you, you unbelieving generation. And he had disciples that did kind of funny things. If you read the Gospels, it gives me hope. Because there are times when, you know, he's bearing a soul and he said, the Son of Man's going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified. And so he, I mean, he's talking about a heavy, heavy thing. And immediately it says, but then the disciples begin to argue among themselves who was the greatest. Isn't that, it's almost comical. But it makes me feel like I qualify. Because he's bearing his soul and they didn't quite get it. And so he would he's disciplining them, training them, walking with them. Ultimately, he rises from the dead and then he ascends to the Father, right? And then he tells them, Go into the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes, and immediately they come out of there and they are teaching others the gospel. And then they carry the good news of what Jesus poured into them and they change the world. And so we are to discipline, disciple our kids. And again, 
punishment and sometimes about our correction is a part of that. But this big idea of discipline is to train them to walk with us. And so we train them for better or for worse. They will become who we are. And that's a heavy burden. So this idea of, of again, of God setting the thing up, taking a broken man, a broken woman, and then we're going to join their lives together. And then we're going to give them a bunch of little human beings and discipline. It sounds like a wreck, doesn't it? And we need Jesus to do it. But they become what we are. I'll tell on myself a little bit. A few years ago, I was in quite a heated debate, argument with our oldest son, Taylor. And it was just one of those moments I was very frustrated because it was like, what I'm saying is just not getting in. He had just kind of stood his ground and we were just, and it was, we were at an impasse. And I, and, and it was just, I was getting so frustrated. And the more we talked, the, 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 the madder I got. And it was in, it, I tell you, this could only be God because anybody else been in those situations before? Am I the only fleshly one among you? Me and Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. We'll talk afterwards. Um, everybody else is pure and righteous and right now. It's, it's no problems at all. So we're... And you knew this had to be God because we're in this moment, and, and usually in those moments, you're not, you don't have godly thoughts. Now, the Holy Spirit might be trying to get into you and just rejecting that. No, that's just too nice. I'm not saying that right now. But it was like the Holy Spirit... Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I didn't say this, but I was thinking to myself, so where did you get that from? And I didn't say that out loud, but I'm thinking it. And then all of a sudden, I'm telling you, it was very supernatural, it was a very holy moment. His faith turned into me. I'm like, oh, okay. I see how it is. And actually, it turned into a very beautiful moment. I began to uh, repent to my son because I know where he got it. I know exactly where he got it. He got it from me. He had become me. It was exactly, it was a very similar situation than, that I would have had with my parents. They become us. They will learn how to treat others from us. They will learn following Jesus from us. And so, parents, you are the primary responsibility for training your kids. Not children's programs at church. That's not primary. Not Awana, not youth group, not children's church, not the church itself. Those are great supplements. Those are great encouraging. We are the family of God, and we get to do life together, and we should be running together. And the Bible says that we should not forsake the family. We should come together. We're told to do that. But parents, this, this is not your primary training ground for your kids. That is your job at your house. These are supplements. These are for you to, again, sometimes we're broken and we need other people. I need help. I need you to pray for me. I need some tools. I need some resources. Again, that's why we come together and we seek God together. Because they see us, they become us. Are we passionate outwardly, but we live differently? Do we want them to cut down on busyness, yet we are overly busy? Do we want them to prioritize certain things and we haven't prioritized those things in our life? 
So again, this is not intended to be a guilt fest. This is intended to say, God, we, we see some we see things that you're pulling out. Let us make you supreme once again. So make time to make Christ first. Then this is where just some practical things. This is where the where we see a lot of you know, the, the family is broken down because the family just we don't we don't do much. We're all busy. We understand that we're running this way and that way. But I encourage you as much as possible to have meals together, have some sort of family devotion together. It doesn't have to be a two-hour worship service in your house. A lot of times we get we, we say, well, it's going to change tomorrow night. We'll start one hour, eight to nine. We're all going to pack in the den. It won't work. Start out simple. Start out with a few minutes. Start out with something. With kids, you can make it fun. We, you know, with, with stories, and puppet shows. I mean, we do all kinds of just crazy things that are try to keep them engaged. It doesn't have to be boring. It can be fun. But make time. Make it creative. If you need resources, again, come talk to us, and we can, we can help you with that. Because we all know raising kids can be stressful. with hard work. It's very hard work. But the investment is so worth it. The investment is so worth it. But it, it's very difficult. I'm not, and you, you guys know if you raise kids or you're raising kids, you know how challenging it can be. Just as men and uh, the, man, the husband and wife are so different, you've got all these different unique personalities, don't you? And it's like, are you guys, I mean, it's like, same family. I mean, it just it feels a little weird because you're so much different and you see the world differently and it's, you know, and you're trying to be consistent and sometimes you feel like, oh, you know, this season going to last forever and it doesn't. It goes by very quickly. But when you're in the middle of it, doesn't it seem forever? When kids don't sleep, can I get a witness? And you're, you're burning on very little sleep and then you're waking up and you've got to do your day. And people around you don't really care that you did only got three hours of sleep last night. You still got to function. You still got to do what you do. The stress, the environment, and you know, then you know, we come home and we kind of want me time, and there's no me time for a period of years. Your me time is very, you know, it's like maybe you get a moment alone here and there, you know, if you're helping maybe get on a date, get a babysitter, but then it's just years of no me time. And you know, that's a part of the gospel. Because we live in a very me-focused world that we listen about me, and you have, a, you have a marriage and you have kids, you find out real quick this is not about you. That you can neglect and you can push off and you can make it about you and you're going to do some damage. When it's self-focused, but we learn, we learn about the gospel of relationships, we learn about the cross, we learn about letting our lives down. In the marriage thing, I told you guys, you know, that, that there's a friend of mine that did do a premarital counseling, and the first session is prepare to die. And I can tell you when you're having kids, prepare to die. In the, in the best of ways. It's the most beautiful thing, it's the most hard thing, or as that young, it's brutal. It's wonderful and it's hard, but it's worth it. And so I say this, you know, make the most of every opportunity. You only get one shot at it. If you've blown it, we serve everything we don't. And how many have blown it? Hello. It reminds us 
that we need Jesus. What the enemy does that make guilt, shame, condemnation, and says the rest of your heart and mind. Even if you have adult kids and you've blown it and you're like, oh, I wish I could go back. You can't go back, but you can't have redemption now. And God can redeem. That's the God you serve. He's a miraculous God. And so you only get one shot of it. Enjoy every stage. You know, there's this, you know, you have people, you know, even have a liar. Some, some people go, oh, I love the baby stage. You know, the baby, baby, the little baby. I love that stage. And then some people, I love the toddler stage. And then there are few on the earth that say, I love that middle school age. There's like two, two or three people on the earth that love that stage. You know, um, hit middle school and then high school. But there's, there's some, there's hard parts and there's wonderful parts of every stage. Enjoy it. And remember mercy. God can heal relationships even with adult kids. He can. I've seen it happen. It's a beautiful thing that God can do. If you either are an adult and you have a hard time with your parents and maybe there's still some wounds there. God can heal those. Whether your parents are, whether they're repentant or not, God can heal your heart. And if you are an adult, and you have an adult, you have adult children, and that you feel like you've made some mistakes. You know, you can go back and you know, this, when you recognize it and say, "Forgive me." You, you don't get a redo, but you can get redemption and newness in the Lord. All right, so I'm going to look at ten ways really quickly how to train your children in the ways of God. We're going to kind of work through these somewhat quickly. These again are not meant to be overwhelming at all. These are just tools to help you as you work through being a parent. Um, and again, let all these, as Paul writes, and if, if you read the writings of Paul, it's intended to overwhelm you. I'm convinced of it. When I read Paul's writings, I'm like, okay, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And it's intended to say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. I need you to be supreme in my life. I need your help. I need your strength. I need you every day. I'm desperately needing for you. And if you go a few days without him, relationships will remind you how much you need him. And that's what they're supposed to do. And so, as I give these to you, receive it like in Paul. Don't, don't feel the weight. Just feel like, okay, I'm going to need Jesus to do that. Because we need Jesus to pull it off anyway. Number one, lead by example. But that's the script from Proverbs. Change the child the way you should go, and means old who will not turn from it. That's a great promise. That's a great promise. Lead by example is number one. Again, we blow it. We do. We're going to make mistakes. But we do lead by example. We teach way more with what we do than what we say. I said this at, you know, towards the beginning. They will learn behavior. They will learn from how we see us do things. There was a commercial a while back, and I think it might have been like an like anti-smoking kind of thing. Do you guys ever see this where they show the kids walking behind the parents and they're doing exactly what they're doing? It's a highly convicting commercial. One guy is walking and he's mumbling and fucking and kind of whatever, and he can't really hear what he's saying, but his kid's behind him, and he's just walking right behind him doing that. And then, you know, he's 
a mom doing something. She was kind of busy pushing her, her, her little girl away, and then the little girl was like pushing one of her friends away and too busy. It's just kind of very confusing. But lead by example. We teach by more by what we do than what we say. Again, when you blow it, admit it. Admit it. One of the most difficult things I have to do is to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. But when we take ownership of our sin, we stand right on it, and then guess what? There's freedom in that. We confess our faults, James says, one to another. We'll be healed. And I think sometimes it's an internal healing, a relational healing. And I, for whatever reason, I, I, I have dealt with some counseling situations before where I've seen where you know the parent needs to tell this kid, I'm sorry for this or that, and they, they won't do it. I mean, they are just set in the in stone, I am not. Because for whatever reason, where you seem weak, and your kids know you're weak. They know. They know at little, uh, a, a very young age that you're not perfect. They're disappointed when they find it out. Remember when you thought your parents were perfect? For like, you know, three years, you know, and then it's like five or six, you know, something like that. That's cool. Say you're sorry. Admit it. In example, when you assert your authority over your children, I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about abuse about just being authoritative, being an authority. Your children should clearly see that you are committed to authority. The greatest leaders understand following of and when we are following God and we are loving Jesus, again, not even when we go it, when we when they see us walking with the Lord, repenting to the Lord, when they see that we're under authority, it means so much. And then, then when you when you have to bring authority into your kids' lives, it is way more effective when they see that you are under God's authority. This is a principle that can go across the board. The greatest leaders are first the greatest followers. Are you submitted to God? Your submission to God gives you platform to teach your kids. And again, we, by example, we teach them priorities. We teach them, again, how to treat others. We, we, we train them on repentance. We train them on forgiveness by what we do. Two, value them not just for their characteristics or what they do well, but for who they are. A lot of times we can look at our kids and we just praise them. Hey, you know, you, you draw well. You, you are a great athlete. And we, we applaud and we praise our kids for what they do, their characteristics. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. That's great. But look deeper into the uniqueness of their heart. All these kids that we have, you know, they're so different. And be able to zero in on the uniqueness of their heart, not just about their performance. We live in a very performance-driven society in the kingdom of God. We should look deeper into the hearts of our kids. And we can see how God created them. Like, man, I see compassion in you. And I'm so thankful that you're such a compassionate person. I see that you're a, a leader, that God has leadership things in you. We should, we should recognize when they do well, but 
Don't just let your praise be in those areas. Don't buy them to just what they do, but look who they are in the cemetery. Discipline or correct with the right spirit. And this is the part of discipline that maybe is correction. But make sure it's clear. Make sure it's clear. The, 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 the why, the what, etc. Uh, don't, don't, don't correct out of a place of anger. And I know that's very easy to do. Been there. I told you a little story about me a minute ago. But as much as possible, try to take a step back from anger and not let anger get a foothold on you. Doesn't mean that you're not angry. The Bible says, be angry and sin not, right? So there's not, there's not, it's not sinful to be angry. Sometimes we get angry. But in your anger, do not sin, the Bible says. And so we can go from anger, maybe a, a holy anger, to a sinful anger very quickly. And we have to guard our heart. But let your children know the why. The why. If they don't understand why they're being corrected, it is very frustrating. That's a way to embitter your child. Sometimes if they're just... And, you know, sometimes they just feel like that it, this is not a convenient moment. And I get that. We're busy. We're doing something. We have a five-year-old that he's so inquisitive. He asks a million questions a day, which reveals how much I don't know. It's like, wow, there's a lot that I don't know. The other day, we were, we were downstairs, and his big thing was to sit on the pot and let's talk about something. He goes, Dad, let's talk about bones. I kid you not, that was right out of his mouth. Let's talk about bones. And I'm standing there going, wow, we're getting into a biology lesson here. I mean, just inquisitive. And sometimes that being inquisitive is, is not in the right place at all times. It's just easy just to shut him down and just say, I'm going to do right now. Well, he doesn't understand context. Like, well, that's on the phone. That means that time, not, not, time is not right now. The why and the what. Make sure we don't discipline in a wrong spirit, or correct in a wrong spirit. I mean, it is necessary, right? Discipline and, and correction is necessary. Proverbs 29 15 says, A child left to himself will be ashamed to his mother. So we must bring correction at times. And Doug said this last week, even from Hebrews 12, we get a picture of Christ, and those who discipline, he loves. So when you get discipline from the Lord, you get conviction from the Lord, he says, count it as joy because you're being treated like a child. Because God cares about you so much that he will give you conviction from his Holy Spirit to get you on the right track. That's what we should celebrate. Man, I'm being treated like a child. He loves me like a child. And kids long for that. They long for boundaries. Number four, set clear expectations. Again, sometimes I think we expect our kids just to get it, but the more we can explain to our children what is expected of them and what they can expect from you is so helpful. That they understand, make sure they understand this builds trust in you as a parent. They want a kid's security is that you're competent as a parent. When a kid gets insecure, it's when you are not competent or you are unstable. 
It's like in the correct name, um, Athena and I, because we're, we're, we're laughing again, we had, we had to watch this large, long screen video about you know, all of these, these, these topics. And they talked about one of the things they said the two worst things a parent can do and, and is to go down to their level and, 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 and discipline and correct them. It was where they were yelling at you, you start yelling at them, and it's like two four year olds going at it, and you just become a four year old. And they said the second one is to bring them up to your level because you almost treat them like they're an adult and they're fun. You know, well, what would you like to do? And they say, well, I want chocolate, that's all I want. You know, and, 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 and if you bring them up to your level or go down to that, it's, 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 they're both equally not good. You are the parent, they are the child, and that's why we have to set clear expectations, what is expected, what they can expect from us. They want to feel secure. Number five, recognize obedience. Recognize obedience. This kind of is tied to when you, when, when you don't just praise them for, for what they do. Also, don't just deal with them when they are negative. Recognize when they are good. You know, Dad asked you to do that, and you do that. I thank you for that. Because a lot of times we're just more reactive than proactive. Anybody else guilty of that? Try me. You know, where you just you make a behavior, boom, I'm doing it. A proactive is to say, I recognize it, and you, you have to be watchful when you see your kids do something, and they go, baby, they did what you asked them to do. And bring them over, and thank you. You, you. you cleaned up the toys. Thank you. I asked you to do this, and you did it. Recognize obedience. Again, this gives them value, and you're not just simply dealing with the negative. And then they see, again, there's value in it. Number six, really listen to them. Really listen to them. And I'm relearning this again of when... Sometimes kids are saying one thing and they're really meaning a different thing. Sometimes they need to talk. And, and again, I know there's times where if they're, just, if they're just chattering and chattering and chattering, you need, it's like you don't just have to give into all of that, but there are times where you just sit down, look them eye to eye, and really listen to them and hear their heart. Whether, I mean, sometimes it's just a wonderful relational connection, something that they're interested in, that you're valuing them, that you're valuing the interest that they have. And sometimes it's a hurt. They're, they're, they're really dealing with something. They don't know how to tell you, and they have emotions that are going on in their heart. Again, I'm, I'm relearning this. I'm a five-year-old, and it's, and it's like, he really needs to tell me something right now. And it's easy just to say, I'm not I'm doing something right now. And, and he's frustrated, but he doesn't know how to completely connect that to me. So sometimes I just need to stop what I'm doing and sit down, get on their level, and listen that you care what they are processing. Number seven, maybe one of the most important ones for you folks that are married here, honor and love your spouse in front of your kids. It's one of the greatest training things in your home. Honor and love your spouse in front of them. Show love and honor to each other in front of your children. That means guarding what you say and how you say it. Remember at the beginning, they learn more from what we do than what we say. And so they will learn relational skills on how we treat each other. 
And that's even good is if you've blown it and you've mistreated your spouse and they saw that you said something out of a wrong spirit, it's good for them to even say, see you say, I'm very sorry. Or if you didn't have the opportunity to say, remember what I said to your mom earlier? That was wrong. And I'm sorry. It's huge. But honor and love your spouse in front of them. Don't tear each other down. Don't resent each other. Guard that. Again, we need Jesus in these relationships. Children need to see mom and dad as one. Parents that are in unity with each other is one of the most basic elements of your home. And kids are smart. Can I get a witness? If they can play you against each other, they will if you allow it. I used to have this when I was a kid. I, again, it's all in my a little bit. I, my dad was kind of one of those that were, he at times would say, go ask your mom. Anybody ever have that dad? Go ask your mom. It's really easy to ask to do that. Um, don't send them to mom. Um, that's a good way to have mom resent you. Um, and so, if it, you know, and, and, and so then there's a way that I would, and I, let me just say, it, it, it's a manipulative lying little way. Go after mom. So mom, can I, whatever it is, and I think dad's okay with it because he told me to come ask you. I was a devious little kid. Well, if he thinks it's okay, I guess he can. Bingo, I win. When parents are in unity, there's security in the home, and then kids will play you. They will work you like a chessboard. And I've been guilty of it, I've seen it, but be in unity because there's nothing that will break down manipulation in their houses when they see that you're one. We're on a unified front, we're in agreement. Here we are, here's the answer. Um, but they, they need to see unity. They need to see unity. Number eight, let your words and your actions line up. Hypocrisy can be taught. Let your words, do they see you saying one thing and living a different? Do they see you putting an expectation on them and you don't have the same expectation for your own life? You kids need to do that, but then we see mom and dad doing something differently. Nothing more frustrating when kids see that again. When you've done those things, you make it right, repent, recognize it, allow the Lord to show it to you, and, and make that right thing. Because hypocrisy can be taught. When we say one thing, when we are living a different way. Kids, you're spending too much time on that computer as I'm in my fifth hour on Sports Center. Sports is the same one over and over again. I don't know why we have to, like we have to watch it every moment. You know what I'm saying? Guard hypocrisy in the home. Number nine, don't hold their wrongs over their heads. We can do this in marriage. We can do this in our family. Keep them forgiveness and moving on. Don't hold stuff over their heads. It's so easy to replay and bring back up old sins to try to drive a point home. We do it in relationships. We do it in our marriages. Don't look at me with like the deer headlines. You know what I'm talking about. 
It's easy because I need to make a point. Well, remember when you, because I need to drive this point home. No, you don't. Because what we're trying to do is get validation in an argument. We're really trying to get validated. We want to validate ourselves and we get into the heat of the argument, so we bring up old things. Happens in marriage first place. That's where it happens, but it can happen when you hold the kids long. You're just disobedient. Remember three months ago when you did that? You're doing that stuff again. Because then they don't understand what it means to move on with forgiveness. And, and we, are, we, we are taught this by Jesus Himself. Paul tells us that if you forgive, it's twice as forgiven you. And I understand that you can't forget. But we, as much as possible, Psalm 103, as far as the east is removed from the west, so much we removed our transgressions from us. Jesus is not bringing back your old stuff. If you're dealing with condemnation and shame of, your old, of, the, of something you did in the past, even if it was yesterday, that is the enemy. As far as when you genuinely repent, God, forgive me, cleanse me, as far as the east is removed from the west. In other words, there's no touching point. It's just moving in these directions never to be seen again. That's the God we serve. And so let it be in our homes as far as the east is removed from the west. I understand, again, we have memories. We know what has happened. But guard that. And lastly, finishing with this. Be authentic in your walk with Jesus. What do I mean by that? Allow them to see that you need Him. Allow your kids to see that you need Jesus. And again, this is about us being transparent and being honest in our homes and our lives. They know you're. They know that you're not perfect. If you're still trying to keep that aside, uh, they they see you as a fake. But be transparent, be real, be honest. Let them see you need Jesus. A lot of times, again, in our in our in our in those facades, we don't want to let our kids see that we make mistakes and sin. Then they have this kind of unreal expectation of you. But when they see us in honest and our brokenness, and say, "My dad needs Jesus. My mom needs Jesus. Therefore, I need Jesus." And so it's okay for then to see us on our knees and say, God, please forgive me of my sins. God, forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me. It's great for your kids to hear you say that, but be real, be authentic in your walk with Jesus. You need redemption. You need forgiveness. And it's okay that they know that. And it all comes back to Him. It all comes back to how much we need Christ in our relationship and our families. And again, this idea that the reality is pointing to something greater than just human relationships. It's pointing to each one of us. Whether you're married, single, kids, no kids, doesn't matter. It reveals how much we all need Jesus Christ. We need our Father in heaven. We need redemption. We need forgiveness. We need to walk with Him and make Him first in our lives. And he's a good father. He's a good God. He loves us. And he has the best for us. Do it his way. Live his way. Let's do it.
God, thank you for revealing your great love for us. Lord God, thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, went to the cross for us. Lord, today, thank you that we have redemption and forgiveness in you. Lord, thank you that when we repent of our sins, you remove it as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible even says he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. That's a great thing. That, Lord, you wash us and you restore us and you cleanse us and you make us new. But we don't get that from anything else but you. Lord, I pray today for each one of our hearts. The first thing I want to pray for, Lord, is each one of us individually, Lord, that we would make you first place again. Lord God, that we would realize our need of you. That we would give you our hearts in a new way today. So, Lord, forgive me last thing, I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. Lord, in our families, God, we want to make you first place. God, I pray that your redemptive grace and mercy will just be poured over our hearts and our minds today. God, Lord, we've blown it. But again, this is not intended to make us feel bad about what we're not doing, but just to make us realize that we need you and where we've gone, God, forgive us. There is restoration and healing in God. And if the Lord speaks to something you specifically, if there's something you need to say to your kids or your spouse, or if you are a parent with adult children, if there's something that you need to just, you know, and, and, and go back and persuade it, and the Lord's putting that on your heart, I pray and encourage you to be obedient to that. Doesn't matter what their response is, it just matters on our obedience. And so, Lord, heal relationships, walk us, cleanse us, make us new. We love you, we praise you, we give you our hearts this week, and I pray a blessing over your people today. Let us make you first place in Jesus' name.